whether you realize it or not, from the time you woke up until now, you have made dozens upon dozens of decisions. Should I eat breakfast or should I sleep in? What should I have for breakfast? This or that? How much cream? How much sugar? Should I start going black? What do I wear? Which shoes? Which socks? Which sock goes on which foot? Should I speed up or should I stop at the yellow light? Where should I sit this morning? Who should I speak to? That was awkward. Should I say hi or should I keep going and, or should I interrupt? These types of de- decisions take little or no effort. Every day we face hundreds if not thousands of decisions. Most are easy, but some are hard. Most take little or no thought at all. While others, once in a while, come along and you have difficulty facing that decision. It's a hard decision. It's a difficult decision. It's a decision that will affect those around you, your friends, your family, your loved ones, perhaps no one at all except your own trajectory on this planet. These are decisions that are not easy to make. The decisions that sometimes you wish you didn't have to make because so much is at stake. And maybe those decisions take a few minutes to decide upon, as difficult as they may be. Others, you may spend hours, days, perhaps weeks, agonizing over what to do. And then more days and weeks agonizing over whether or not you made the right decision. You stress out. You get anxious. You get angry. You get cranky. You get a few more gray hairs on your head. And every single person on earth faces these challenges. But as Christians, we don't need to get those gray hairs. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry because we have God. I'm not just talking about the fact that God loves you and takes care of you. I'm not just talking about the fact that God is sovereign. That is part of it. I'm not just talking about the fact that God is infinitely wise, though that is part of it too. I'm talking about the fact that God has promised us something very special, something very unique, something very helpful when we face those kinds of life-altering difficult decisions. And this is the promise for something that is more valuable than gold. It is more valuable than all the money in the world. It is more valuable than happiness. He promises us wisdom. God gives us direction through His Word to be sure, but He also promises us wisdom for specific decisions that need to be made. Turn with me to James chapter 1 and verse 5. The whole passage is verses 5-8 through in where James is talking about the promise of wisdom. We will focus this morning on verse 5 and then next week we will look at the rest. James chapter 1 and verse 5, James writes, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. While the world searches for wisdom, while it desperately searches all kinds of different philosophies and theories, God tells us that we don't need to search for it. We just need to ask. And in breaking down the request for wisdom, we're going to focus on verse 5 and look at five factors 
in the biblical request for wisdom. Five factors in the biblical request for wisdom. The first factor is the context. The context of the request for wisdom. The first few words, the first phrase of James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom... Now, the broadest context is the Christian life. This is for believers. Any of you is referring to my brethren that he referenced, as we saw last week, in trials. And that's the narrower context. It is trials. As we'll see, probably in three or four weeks, he goes back to trials, indicating that he is talking about trials this whole time. So wisdom and asking for wisdom is within the specific context of trials. But even more specifically, the context is simply a believer lacking wisdom. Now, wisdom is distinct from knowledge. That's very important to understand. Knowledge is knowing stuff. It's knowing the facts, comprehending truth. It's reading the Bible and knowing what the Bible says. It's knowing the commands of Scripture. It is knowing the character of God. Memorizing the Bible, knowing the Bible, is knowledge. Wisdom is the practical use of that knowledge. And we can see why it's so important, especially for the believer, in relation to the Scriptures. You could say that it's practical rather than theoretical, which makes wisdom go beyond just perception into true action in the real world. And this is actually explained later in James what true wisdom is. Look at verses 13 through 18 of James 3. Let's turn a page or two to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And he goes and he talks to his readers, and it gives us an indication of what true wisdom is. He says, Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. You see the difference? Not just knowing what you're supposed to do, but showing that you are wise by your good behavior. Verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 17 and 18 show you facts, just knowing the Bible, being able to recite Scripture is not full of mercy. It doesn't bring peace. It is not gentle. It is not reasonable. It's not good fruits. That's your actions. That's your wisdom. That is your responding to the truth. A simple illustration that you have, may have heard before in contrasting knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. James's concern is that we have wisdom. And so we understand that we can know that a tomato is a fruit. We can know that we are to love, to obey, whatever it may be. 
but it does you no good in terms of reward in heaven or honoring God if you just know those truths and don't act upon it. And does you no good to say, oh, did you know this is a fruit as you chop it up with your grapes and melon, slide it into a bowl? We must have wisdom. And we understand that James's concern is not about worldly wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom floating around. You know unbelievers that you would say they're very wise in terms of maybe how they run their business or how they raise their children. But we're not talking about worldly wisdom. We're talking about godly wisdom. It is the wisdom that pertains to discerning and carrying out for us the will of God. It's not just knowing, for example, what immorality is, but actively avoiding it, knowing how to avoid it in your particular life and circumstances so as to please the Lord. Proverbs 8, of course, Proverbs speaks much about wisdom. Proverbs 8.35, which personifies wisdom, you know, that means it's, it's speaking of wisdom as if it was a human being. And then as if it was speaking, says, He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now in Jewish thinking, that is the Old Testament thinking, wisdom was practical righteousness in daily life, everyday situations. Practical righteousness. For the believer, it is seeking out God's plan for our lives as revealed in the Scriptures and applying it to our lives, thinking through it, saying, well, yeah, I'm supposed to love, but how do I love? Whom do I love? How do I love this person? And this is something we often call Christ-likeness, being like Christ, godliness. Christ-likeness is fitting and helpful because Christ is the manifestation of wisdom. Many moons ago, we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that Paul actually calls Jesus Christ the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is the manifestation of wisdom. And so we are to be like Him, Christ-like. And like the Jews, the desire for wisdom implies a devotion to the Lord, which flows out into a commitment to follow Him in everything we do in daily life. Now in the context of trials... James is telling his readers that wisdom will allow them to respond properly to the specific problems we've seen that these uh, Jew, Jewish Christians, so his original readers, if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, his original audience are Jews who have converted to Christianity and because of the heavy persecution, not just of Christianity, but specifically of Jews, two converted Jews, they have spread, they have fled They're outside of Palestine, and thus they are considered the scattering, the dispersion, the diaspora is the technical term. And so in their context, James is saying, ask God, and He will give you wisdom specifically on how to deal with those two biggies that we saw in terms of their trials, which is persecution and poverty, one often leading to the other in their lives. And so... He says it will help you. It will help you go beyond, yes, be holy. Yes, I need to obey God. To know exactly how to respond in unique and personal difficulty. How to respond in your unique type of poverty, which this believer may not have. He doesn't have kids. He can go a few days without food, but you can't because you have a baby. Ask God for wisdom. 
he's getting beaten, this guy wants to kill you. Different sources, or same source of wisdom, different manifestations of wisdom in their particular lives. And it's the same for us. As we desire to honor God, we are to seek wisdom from God to know how to live out that desire. It's the same is true even though we may not be in this, these dire circumstances that James's original audience was in. But we need to understand that wisdom goes beyond just the times of difficulty. We need wisdom for almost everything as we live out the Christian life. The fact of the matter is that we all lack wisdom. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, which can be speaking of a pointed specific situation, but the reality is we all lack wisdom, not that we don't have any of it, but that we could always use more. But if you don't recognize your need for wisdom, obviously you're not going to ask for it. You're not going to seek it. You're not going to look to God for it. We may ask for it when wife is pregnant and there's a child on the way. Suddenly, Lord, I need wisdom. You may ask for it when you're put in a specific place of difficulty or trial. You may ask for it when you're challenged theologically by an unbelieving friend. But the first step is to recognize that you need it even outside of those times. You need it all the time. You need it in your weakness and your sinfulness to just live out the Scriptures for the glory of God. I mean, think about the believers that you know. In the church, you may have many who know a lot of Bible knowledge. They know a lot. They can debate. They can quote. They can point to various verses. Some go so far as to flex that knowledge by constantly confronting or debating other Christians. That is not wisdom. That is knowledge. Knowledge, incidentally, improperly used. Taking that knowledge and using it to judge or confront others while your own sins go unchecked is also not wisdom. That's actually contention. That's strife. That's hypocrisy. True wisdom comes from a heart that conforms to Proverbs 3, 5-7. Let me read that for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That was Proverbs 3, verses 5-7. through In other words, wisdom is taking that knowledge from God, the Bible, and applying it to yourself. Clearly, godly wisdom is is very important for the believer. But where does this kind of wisdom come from? That leads us to our second factor in the biblical request for wisdom, the command. The command of the request for wisdom. The next three words simply say, let him ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Now, to ask for wisdom is a very common theme in the Old Testament. It was thus ingrained in the Jewish mindset. Moving forward into the New Testament, James uses here an imperative. It's a fancy word for a command. Yes, we are commanded to ask for wisdom. 
the grammar of the imperative in the original Greek tells us a lot. And what it tells us is something we see a lot in God's commands in the New Testament. And that is it is a call not just to ask once, but to ask constantly. Ask for wisdom. After you get it, do it again. Ask for wisdom. If you didn't think you get it, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. We need wisdom. And this is really a wonderful reminder, not only of our need to constantly pursue wisdom for holiness, but also of God's pleasure in providing it for us. He is a good and loving God. It's interesting that in the midst of trials and the rigors of Christian life, James is not telling us to ask for knowledge. He doesn't say, I need you to know more. I need you to understand more about the world around you. Although important, we have the Bible which we use as an owner's manual for life. And yes, we need to know the Bible more. But the point is we don't need to ask for more knowledge because He's given us the complete canon of Scripture in our hands. On the internet, on your phone, wherever. We don't need Him to add to this. What we need is wisdom. We need to know how to apply the Bible to our lives, which does not always come directly from the Scriptures. You understand this. Sometimes you're confused, maybe even a little frustrated. You read the Bible and you say, but how? I don't know. I don't know how to do this. My particular job did not even exist 2,000 years ago. How do I apply this to my job, to my family, to my situation? And this is why we are commanded to ask for wisdom. And the reason I want to emphasize this seemingly small point in this verse is to remind us that we have to have the desire for wisdom. In other words, we have to live life understanding that we are not just called to muster up the ability to live out our days to the glory of God with our own strength. God has so designed sanctification so that there is a helper in the Holy Spirit, a Savior in the Son, and a provider in the Father. And one of the things He provides is wisdom. Wisdom and how to live. Prior to cell phones, there was a stereotype that men never ask for directions. Maybe still true, right? They can't get Google Maps to work. They won't ask how to... Anyways, in my own life, as well as my experiences with others, I have found this to be true. But why is that? Why did I not ask for directions? Why did other men not ask for directions? I'm sure there's a variety of reasons. I think there's two main ones. For me, at least, I didn't want to ask for directions because it seemed to me that it would actually take more time than figuring it out myself. It would divert me from the very reason I needed directions to get to the place as soon as possible. In other words, it would be faster to U-turn maybe a few times on different streets than to find a gas station, flag down some, someone down who didn't look like they were going to kill me, and then ask for directions. Why break the momentum? I'm always already in the, on the road. I'm in the car. Why f- find someone? Just try this. If it doesn't work, I'll keep going. It'll be quicker. In the same way, we can often be so focused on the busyness of life that we figure that sooner or later we'll get it right. Maybe we tuck away that little act of obedience and say, I can figure that out later. I just need to focus on this for now. 
Why ask for wisdom? Why even go to the Scriptures to seek knowledge that is the basis of the wisdom when it seems like we're eventually going to get there anyway? Another reason men didn't ask for directions is simply a belief that they can do it themselves. They have enough knowledge of how streets are laid out. They can read street signs. At least we used to be able to. We used to be able to read street signs. They have a vague notion of where their destination is located. So why ask? You got this. And we know how both of those scenarios end. Your wives remind you often. And just like the Christian life, the drive will eventually end where it's supposed to, in heaven, with the Lord. But here's the thing. During the race, why not maximize the pursuit of godliness and the ability to please the Father? You're not going to lose your salvation if you don't wisely live out that situation, but you're not honoring God. Why not maximize what we can do here on earth? Why not ask for wisdom? Stop trying to do it on your own. Just ask. Just ask. Obviously, when we're talking about wisdom, whom we go to is vital. It's crucial. In fact, where we get our wisdom from will make the difference between holiness and sin. That leads us to our next, our third factor in the biblical request for wisdom, the contributor. The contributor of the request for wisdom. And this point is simply found in the phrase of God. The wisdom of God. The fact that we are told to ask God for wisdom shows that wisdom is a gift from God. Who are we to ask? God. I have set aside this two-word phrase of God to emphasize this very important point. And that is, we are not to seek the wisdom of the world. We are not to seek the wisdom of the world. Not your coworkers, not your unbelieving parents, not your secular therapist or psychiatrist, definitely not the status quo and definitely not Hollywood or what you see in the media. Oftentimes in our desire to survive, in our pursuit of staying afloat in a world of professional and social pressures and obligations, we can seek the pragmatic wisdom of the world. Just get it done, whatever works. What does the wisdom of the world ultimately come down to? More money, more pleasure, more rest, less sacrifice, more self, less others. All of those are completely contradictory to the Scriptures. The reality is that the world doesn't even know what true wisdom is. Their wisdom flies in the face of their very Creator. And the reality is that they see the wisdom of the Lord lived out by the church, and they not only deny its value, they mock it. They call it foolishness. They call it prejudiced, racist, misogynistic, whatever it is. Turn with me to where we were earlier this morning in Job 28. 
Job 28, which we had for our scripture reading this morning, I want to read again verses 12 through 28. Job 28, verses 12 through 28. Job says, Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man, that is natural man, secular man, does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 21. Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its ways and knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He imparted weight to the wind and meted out the, the waters by measure, when He set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then He saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man He said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Even in the midst of his suffering, Job got it. Job understood it. And Job is saying that wisdom is far more valuable than the most precious metals and jewels in the entire world. In other words, true wisdom is far more valuable than what the world pursues. And true wisdom does not need to be sought after in the highest peak or in the depths of the ocean. It is found only in God because only in God is there spiritual victory and God-honoring success. So get a refund for your down payment for that little submarine to search the depths of the ocean. Stop training to find some guru at the peak of Mount Everest. Just pray and ask God. Ask of God for wisdom. The wisdom of the world feeds the flesh. The wisdom of the world idolizes sin. The wisdom of the world is foolishness in the eyes of God. And so we must seek true wisdom, which is of God alone. And God says, if you want wisdom, just ask. All you got to do is say, Lord, give me wisdom. You just have to ask. And asking any individual for anything is sensible only if that individual actually can and will give you what you want. Which leads us to our fourth factor in the biblical request for wisdom, the confidence. The confidence of the request for wisdom. James says in verse 5, speaking of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. Now we are told elsewhere in Scripture that God will give us what we ask so long as it is in line with His will for us. First, in line with His revealed will, the Word of God, 
We don't ask for things that contradict His character. We don't ask for things that are sinful. But also, He will only give us what we ask for if it is for our good in His eyes. And wisdom of the sort that we are talking about this morning is all about God's will. It is asking for wisdom that we may interpret and apply the Scriptures in a way that pleases Him. And God's provision of such things is based upon His character. It is based upon who He is. In regard to wisdom, right here, we are told that He will give, and notice, gives to all. Anyone who asks, He will give. Now we have to understand the context. He's going to give to those who ask. And we know that any believer can ask. And second in terms of the context, which we'll see next week, wisdom is only given to those who ask in faith. That's very important. I hesitated to break up this passage because of that, but I want to read it for you now as a preview. Verses 6 through 8 of James 1. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we'll talk more about this next week. Here in verse 5, within the parameters of being asked and being asked in faith, God will give, and I quote, generously, and secondly, without reproach. Generously means just that, generously. It literally means simply, unconditionally, without bargaining. Well, if you do that, well, you know, I mm, no, he'll just give unconditionally. And secondly, James says he'll give without reproach, which means without rebuke, without reproof, without reprimand. Say, that's strange. What does that mean? God will not give us wisdom while at the same time reminding us of how sinful we are. God will not give us wisdom and at the same time rebuke us for not asking sooner. We do this. He is not like a parent reprimanding their child for asking for help with a project the night before it's due. Yeah, I'll help, but really you knew this was due and off they go. Or a manager insulting you because you should know this already. Yes, I'll show you, but you know this. You're supposed to know this. This is your job. He won't do that. He will just give generously and without reproach. Lovingly, graciously giving wisdom. And both of these aspects of how God gives reflect His character. Unlike the false gods of James's day, the one true God is not fickle, He's not unpredictable. He's not petty. Our God truly desires what is best for us. And in light of this, His love for us is total. It is unreserved such that when we ask for wisdom, we can expect to receive it. One of the ways you can ask in faith is to focus on His character. And this is true of all things in the Christian walk. Things are accomplished with greater hope, greater joy, greater expectation when we focus not on ourselves, not on others, not on the end results, but when we focus on God, when we focus on His glory, His character, His goodness. When I was growing up with my brother, 
in our parents' home, we always knew who to ask when we wanted something. If we wanted money for candy, if we wanted to stay late with our friends, we asked Dad because we knew Dad would say yes. Sorry. We understood his character. And so the more he did it, the more confidence we had in asking him. And as believers, we have progressed and lived in the Christian life, and we know the character of God. And just like I would ask my dad with confidence for some money or for extra time, we can ask our Father in heaven with confidence to grant us the wisdom we need to live for him. Because we know he's going to do it. We know what he desires. We know what he's like And we know He never changes. So we have a confidence in our request for wisdom, not just in the promise of how He will give wisdom, but because those promises of generously and without reproach are based on His infinite, unchanging character. And so it doesn't matter how much you messed up in His eyes. It doesn't matter how deep the depths of your wickedness of that particular sin. It doesn't matter how late you try to fix the situation, how late you ask for wisdom, how desperate and hopeless you feel. You know God doesn't change. And in His unchanging nature, He says, I am still generous. I will still give generously. And I will give without rebuking you. Lovingly, freely. And so we move on. We're looking at five factors in the biblical request for wisdom. Our final one, number five, is the commitment. The commitment of the request for wisdom. He ends in verse five, and we again we have to understand the context of what we're going to see next week in verses six through eight. But he says, if all of these are fulfilled, verse five, very simply, it will be given to him. No gymnastics, no jumping through hoops, just ask, it will be given to him. God has committed to give His children wisdom. It is a promise. He doesn't break promises. So long as we follow the first four factors in our outline, we will be given wisdom. We we must first, we saw, recognize that we need wisdom, the context. We must ask for wisdom, the command. God is the one whom we must turn to, the contributor, and we must understand and trust His character. The confidence, which again will be brought out more next week. And when these are in place, He will give you wisdom. And I know it, makes, it means the same thing, but let me put it this way, because I think it's so much more powerful. If you ask for wisdom, you will be wiser. You will be wiser. You ever prayed to God for wisdom? You need help in a situation. Maybe you didn't even use that word, but that's what you were praying for. Lord, help me to know what to do here. And then the next day you come to church or you turn on the radio and you hear a sermon. Or maybe you start talking to someone. It's not even meant to be a deep spiritual conversation. It's not even during small group. It's after small group or just as you're walking the parking lot after service. And that sermon or that conversation guides you through that situation that you needed wisdom for. 
Maybe it's not even the actual words you heard, but something that, that triggered something in your mind. Friends, that wasn't a coincidence. That was God giving you wisdom. He often gives wisdom through other people, which in some ways can make it tricky. It can be through a conversation, an example, a sermon, a book, whatever. We must acknowledge that though it was that person's words or actions or writings, it was God answering your request for wisdom. And I say this only so we continue to turn to God rather than training ourselves to turn to other individuals. Turn to God first. Ask for wisdom. He will very often use other people in some way. That's what He does. And on the flip side of it, what a, what a wonderful grace of God that all of us here as believers may have been used by God to answer someone else's request for wisdom. Isn't that amazing? But we need to turn to God. So always recognize that though God uses others, it is still God using others. God will provide wisdom. So we've seen five factors in the biblical request for wisdom. The context, you need wisdom. The command, ask. The contributor, God. The confidence, His character. And then the commitment, which is not on our part. The commitment is on God's part, which is wonderful. He will give it to you. Having seen this, this is very important to understand what I'm about to say. If you are a Christian, you have no excuse for lacking wisdom. There's no excuse based on this verse. If you do, understand, recognize that your lack of wisdom is self-imposed because you're not asking. You're not asking in faith. You don't have to relentlessly pour over ancient philosophical texts or search out the latest trend or self-help guru or attend the best universities. You just have to ask. It doesn't get much more simple than that. Now understand this. Wisdom is taking the truths of Scripture and of course combining the truths of your life not the subjective things, your emotions and what you perceive or assume, the truths of what's going on. Taking that, the knowledge of the Scripture, the knowledge of the reality of life and the world, the wisdom helps you deal with that. Wisdom will not take the pain away. Wisdom, the promise of wisdom is not a promise that you will never go through difficult times. I mean, just look at the last verse we saw. Right? We will go through trials, but we can have joy in them but we will be able to navigate it that will have a result in joy. Why is the result joy? Because we're navigating that difficulty, or maybe it's not even a difficulty, it's just a tough decision that you have to make in a way that honors the Lord, using the Scriptures, using the Word and will of God, and playing it out in your mind and your life with godly wisdom. I'll be honest with you. Doing things God's way with God's wisdom will sometimes make your situation more difficult. Because you're going to do the right thing. 
I was just talking recently with someone who is trying to do the right thing uh, from a mistake that he made at his work of, uh, weeks ago. And the right thing entails dealing with someone outside of his company and his boss just said, don't tell the outside company the truth of what you did. That's tough. And knowing the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God, that may very well say, no, you need to go tell the truth. And so losing his job or being reprimanded by his boss does not make things easier. But it will bring joy because he honors God. It will bring joy because he's worshiping God. You see what I mean? I'm not sitting here promising you things will be worse if you do things the right way, but you've got to understand that the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom is not just the difference in advice. It's a difference in results. It's a difference in how people who prefer secular wisdom will respond to that godly decision. And even as you amass that wisdom, there may still be a decision to make. Sometimes it's cut and dry. Yeah, I just wasn't seeing that. I knew in my heart of hearts this was sin, so i got to choose this. But sometimes there's still going to be a hard decision to make. Because it's not sin, for example, to take this job instead of this job. It may not be sin to go to this church instead of that church. It may not be sin to move to this city instead of stay here. But you can't make that. That's a hard decision. And so you pray for wisdom. And maybe the Lord reminds you, hey, have you looked to see if there's a good church within driving distance of that new job? Thank you, Lord. There's wisdom. All right. Have you looked into different things? Are they a corrupt company? Who do they deal with? Those types of things. You're reminded and you say, ah, God gave me wisdom. Didn't answer the question, but gave me wisdom to make the right decision or a better decision for the glory of God. And that's how wisdom works. Look, there's nothing wrong to go into unbelieving friends and say, hey, does this look good? Hey, you just had a meeting with the boss. What did he say? Can you prepare me? That's not what we're talking about. When it comes to life decisions, if you are just going to secular wisdom for those types of decisions, you're going to get, well, secular wisdom. And so we start with the Scriptures. And when you go to the Scriptures, part two is not asking the women in women's group. It's not asking the men's in men's group. It's not asking your small group leader, your small group attendants. It's not asking me. It's not asking Chris. It's asking God for wisdom. And in a weird way, okay, you understand what I'm saying here, in God's sovereignty, after you ask for wisdom from God, now God's involved and He's basically going to force me to give you wisdom. I'm not even going to know it. I'm not even going to know the situation sometimes. But now He's answering your prayer through me and I may not even know. We need to be careful. Because so often this world, I can't remember where it was. Maybe it was in men's group. Someone was mentioning how it's very common now for uh, the world, at least in our culture here in California, to just say, go see a therapist. I think a few years ago is very taboo. 
right? Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, you're getting a divorce, right? Even unbelievers thought this way. But now it's like, oh no, we all need therapy. You need, you need therapy? Go see a therapist. Christian, you need to be very careful. You need to be very careful when going to a secular therapist. Because when their worldview is not from the scriptures, they couldn't give you godly wisdom even if they tried. And then we take God's money and pay that person for that. We need to be careful with that. We need to be very careful that we get wisdom from God and God's going to use His people for those things. I understand that there are people who are in therapy, secular therapy. I'm not condemning you. I'm definitely not judging you. You need help. You're seeking help. I am asking you, seek someone who is Bible-based. Seek someone who's going to give you the Scriptures. As an added bonus, we tend to be free. You don't need insurance. Because when we look at the world, they just say, you're good enough. What I or any other believer is going to say is like, you're right. You're a horrible sinner, but God. There's grace. The world's going to say, well, just cut those people out of your life. The Christian is going to say, no, peace. We need to, blessed are the peacemakers. You need to reconcile. You don't have to ever talk to them again, but you need to reconcile. See the difference? They say you're good enough. You just need to get over all the negativity. Find a safe space. Stop being triggered. Where we say, no, that's the whole point. We are not good enough, but God. And you know this to be true as a believer, and so take that but God and go to His wisdom. Seek His wisdom. (laughs) It's crazy. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. And I truly believe that in our sin, in our desire to hold on to sin, sometimes we don't want to ask. Because we love our sin, we like our sin, we enjoy our sin. By the way, as a Christian, you got to acknowledge that. That's step one. Right? No alcoholic says, I don't know the problem, I hate alcohol. They acknowledge that they love alcohol too much. They want it all the time which is why they're driven to avoid it. We like our sin. We enjoy it. It feels good to be angry. It feels good to slander people. It feels good to put people in their place. And so maybe we'll ask God for wisdom and then God gives it and you say, I don't want that because I want to be angry at that person. I don't want to swallow my pride and deal with that situation. So it's not really in the text. It's implied here, but ask for wisdom and then when you get it, apply it. Do something about it because all of this is about God's glory. It's not about yourself. It's not about you. We get the residual joy and effects and get this, eternal reward, hello, but it's ultimately all about God. Him using us for His glory. Him using the rest of us to give you wisdom. And so, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful promise. You know how desperately we need your wisdom. You know how desperately we fight it because of our sin. 
thank you that you've made such an important thing so easily accessible. May we see our need for it. May we grow in our desire to honor you. May we ask for wisdom without hesitation, without doubting. May seeking your wisdom be our first, the first place that we turn to. And when you do give us wisdom, no matter who it's from or how it's delivered, may we accept it, may we understand it, may we apply it. Help us to get wise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.